You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome one and all to episode 131 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. We are brought to you by GameMat.eu for pre-painted terrain and beautiful game mats, as well as our beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. And, you know, we actually have a new Patreon patron. Yeah, that's right. He's so sweet. He's sweet. He's cute. (laughs) We should have a threesome with him. (laughs) Dave. Thank you so much, Dave, for helping us support the show. It means a lot to me that you guys appreciate what I do and you like listening to me ramble on about random shit. So... I, uh, actually, you know what? We haven't done this in a while. Let's do a good old-fashioned roll call for the Patreon patrons, shall we? Thank you so much to everybody for supporting this show. Let's start off with the Gold Trim Scarabs. Brendan, thank you so much for supporting the show, Brendan. Then we move on to our sexy, funky warriors. We got Steven, we got Nate, we got Mandy, we got Elle, and we got David. Thank you as well, everybody, for supporting the show. Then we've got our badass Cryptex, and they are Shade, Leroy, Edward, and Andrew, and I greatly appreciate it. And now, finally, the guy that I have to mail two wet smooches a month to for supporting the show, we got our mother flippin' lord Mike over in the UK, and thank you so much, Mike, for supporting the show. I have said that a lot already today, but I really, truly do appreciate it. You guys don't understand how much it means to me. So, enough butt-kissing, enough glad-handing. Okay, what are we talking about today? We are talking about, was Warhammer really ever supposed to be tournaments? I mean, if you really think about it, is the game, the game might be now geared towards it, but I don't know. If you really look at the uh, history of the game and the nature of tournaments in this day and age for 9th edition, I don't really know if we should be having tournaments. Also, uh, I have a want that or want that not, with the Slan Gore Fiend Bloods. Man, I struggle with that name so bad. And we say whether or not we want them or not for the Heed Knights of Slanesh. And then we also have a... Wow, this this segment has actually been going for a while. Well, here's an idea with the Pimkron. And I have undertaken uh, revamping the Mengel Miniatures version of the Tomb King's unofficial codex because it needs to be updated for AOS 2.0, and also it uh, was lacking in several different ways in my personal opinion. So I'm making it and revamping it for myself, and then I'll eventually release it for anybody who wants to use it. But you can dust off those Tomb Kings and use them again. So what have I been up to? Uh, Most of the main topic for today is actually going to be covering what I was up to this weekend. So I will leave that for a a sweet little morsel of a surprise for you at the end of the show. And I have also been working on my Tomb Kings Codex, and I have been working on no Brutality this week, actually. I I played Brutality with my buddy Matt, and to be honest with you, so much has happened this weekend, I have no idea how that went. I don't remember who won. So that's good. Um, (laughs) And... My buddy TJ 3D printed me the Enterprise D bridge that's in 28 millimeter scale. So I've been working on that. And um, I just wanted a Enterprise D bridge. So, you know, if you don't like it, I I don't know what to tell you because now I have one. I just have to paint it and paint all the screens and 
all of that. I finally just cleaned it all up. It had some, you know, frayed edges and whatnot, but I'm very excited. So I'm going to finally be able to put my Enterprise D bridge people on the bridge, and that's going to be great as a little display. As a little display. I've also been revamping my Imperial Guard, and I'll be selling all my Catechins soon, and I've already told you that I'm using Orlocks. I'm also going to be adding Escher Gang, I believe, and uh, the working idea I've got for that right now is that they're going to be kind of punky and kind of not your normal guardsmen because they have been fighting for a long, long time in a certain theater of war, and they have not gotten resupplied in a very long time. So I might end up making it like a um, civil unrest suppression or something like that, and they've eventually lost a lot of their equipment and things over time, and now they're using other equipment, and they're having to scavenge for stuff and, and make them really scrappy like that. So I'm pretty excited about that. And that's about it. I'm not going to hold you too long. Um, I'm very, very tired from this weekend. We had a lot of fun. So I will let you go on to the first segment. And by the way, you need to email us at pimpcron at gmail.com or facebook.com slash pimpcron and email us because we actually don't have any letters right now in the mail. Boo! Want that or want that not? On this edition of Want That or Want That Not, we are discussing the Slangor Blood... I mean, sorry. Slangor... Slangor Fiend Bloods. They just slap words together now, don't they? It's just, here's a slan... Okay, slanish, okay. But it's a beast of gore. So gore, uh, it's really... It's kind of like a fiend, though. So fiend, and then... Uh, we probably, and we're obligated by Rick Priestley to either put in the word blood or skull. So, Slangor Fiend Skull? Nah, nah, nah. Slangor Fiend Bloods. There you go. Slangor Fiend Bloods. I have such a hard time with that word. But, essentially, uh, they have finally released all of the stuff for pre-order and new release for Slanesh, the Hedonites of Slanesh, for Age of Sigmar. And I am going to be straight with you for a minute. All right? I love the idea of all these different gores. You have the um, Zangors, and you have um, the Slangors now, and I don't know, I don't think there's a Nurgle or a Zinch. I'm sorry, there's a Nurgle or a uh, Korngore yet. I could be wrong on that, but I think there's, there is no uh, Korn or Nurgle gores. But back to the models. This is for $50, you get three Slangor Fiend Bloods. Good God. And it's exactly what their word, what their words describe. It is larger than a gore, beast of gore, and it looks a lot like a fiend. And it's slanesh themed, and they have a very wide stance. I find it a little peculiar that they're all like, "Come at me, bro!" And one of them has a single hand holding an axe. I guess that's like the leader. He's got a fancy headdress, and then he's also got one of the crab claws from the fiends. And then the other two just have two crab claws from the fiends and i really like this motif they're going with it's kind of a persian motif like i mentioned before and they look really really cool they don't have the fiends multi legs don't don't fiends have four legs i think they only have two legs and they do have hooves and they are gores i i i am not in love with these models but they do have quite a bit of different de details and i like that they're keeping with those i don't even know what they're called the leggings that go up to your mid-thigh, 
that women wear sometimes. They're like fancy, sexy leggings. I like that Slanesh has continued with this. They started out doing this with the uh, Keeper of Secrets, and I really like it on that model, and I like it on these. It's just an interesting motif for it. I really like the Persian look of all of these like veils they have and jewels, and, and I'm really talking more about the 300 version of Persian, um, the 300 movie. But they've got vials and jewels and masks and all this stuff, and they're pretty cool models. Uh, like I said, they're not my favorite models. I really do like that um, palanquin or whatever they've got there with um, that other model with the fat guy on it. Love it. And when I did it before, it was uh, they didn't have a price on it, but it's $115, which is pricey, but um, I like that model well enough. I'll probably get it. This is $50 for three of these guys. I have no idea what their capabilities are in combat or anything like that, but fiends are pretty good, and if these are fiend bloods, I don't know where blood comes from, but if they're anything like a fiend, I'll probably be on board with them. I think I would get these over some of the human offerings they have for the new Slanesh uh, models. They are interesting, and they're adequately done. I don't think they're going to knock your socks off when you look at them. They're just... A B, B plus. They're totally fine. A little bit cool. Nothing really to write home about. I could definitely see myself buying these. This is not an absolute want that like the, um, the, the fat dude was with his entourage. But they are pretty cool looking and I really, really like the idea, um, of the different types of gores actually having different styles of beast of gores. I really like that idea because they're always supposed to be chaosy, but then, you know, it's not really that chaosy, and they don't ever have anything dedicated to one god. So I'm really, really enjoying these slangors. It'd be really cool if these slangors and the zangors and all that end up. Actually, zangors are in the Beasts of Chaos book, so slangor fiend bloods should also be in here hopefully. And. uh Anyway, there's really not much to say about these. I do like the overall look. Uh, they're not knocking my socks off. 50 bucks for three of them is totally fine. I, it looks to me like they're on 40 millimeter bases, and I'm sure they're multiple wounds and blah, blah, blah. So this is not a an enthusiastic want that, but it is a mild want that, and I could definitely see myself buying them. So this is kind of a lackluster want that for the old Pimcron. Later. Now, here's an idea. On this edition of Well, Here's an Idea with the Pimpcron, that's me, in case you weren't already aware of that this far into the show. But I want to discuss exactly what I'm doing with the unofficial Tomb Kings battle tome that Mangle Miniatures came out with in 2017. It was four years ago. And they kind of updated it. Now, of course, four years ago was Age of Sigmar 1.0, not 2.0. So um, they didn't have any of like the tithes or the things that happen where you score points or whatever, like blood tithe points or call points or any of those different points. Um, they also did not have any such thing as command points, which was another thing. And uh, it was lacking some other things. My problem with this Mingle Miniatures Codex is that... It was hella durable in the way that you keep bringing bodies on. But, you know, that, to me, is frustrating to not only myself as a player of Tomb Kings, because, oh, I'm taking them off and putting them back on. I'm taking them off and putting them back on. I'm taking them, oh my god. It's also really frustrating to play against, because 
Oh, I almost wiped out the squad. Oh, wait, now they're back. Oh my god, it's like athlete's foot. It just keeps coming back. So, I decided to take it upon myself to uh, revamp this this codex. Um, they don't own it because it's an unofficial codex, and they're not selling it because they can't, and they don't have the rights to Tomb Kings, and I am just revamping this for my own personal use. I am not selling this at all, and I'm not even claiming to have made the codex. Everything will still be Mangle Miniatures, but I contacted them about a year ago, and I was like, hey, are you ever willing to update this Tomb Kings Battle Tome? And I have it in an email that they said, no, they're probably not going to do that unless some, you know, something gets up their butt to do it, but they probably are not going to update it. So, um, my experience, I've got extensive experience with Tomb Kings, and their only shtick is to come back from the dead. That is their only shtick. The rules that Games Workshop gave them are so anemic and so weak that they have almost no damage output. Now, the Ushabti are not bad, the Bone Giant is not too bad, and the War Sphinxes are not too bad. But the Carrion has a broken rule that technically they can't even drop down from flying high unless they assault, which is stupid because they have a 6-up save and they're not good at melee. So, that's dumb. I fixed that. And uh, the beetle swarms or the desert swarms, um, tomb swarms, whatever they're called, uh, they really don't do anything. They can burrow, they can deep strike, they can reburrow, but really they don't do anything. They have a nothing save. So now under my regime, they have a six up save. So eat it. Um, what else? I am trying to do away with deathless saves altogether. Now, mind you, this is in the planning phase. So bear with me. But I am trying to do away with deathless saves altogether. That's basically the six-up fill no pain if you're within, I think it's 10 inches of a uh, hero. And every time you lose a hit point, you get to roll a six-up fill no pain, basically. Well, the Mingle Miniatures version of it was that they had a... Um, the Some way, I forget now, because I've rewritten the book so much. Some way that you could get a plus one to that, making it a five-up. And then you could re-roll it with the hero event. So it was a 5-up re-rollable fail no pain. And that got to be pretty ridiculous. It was a lot of rolling. A lot of models being taken off and put back on. And super frustrating for both players. So I'm currently working on some variation of... Uh, number one, if you're not familiar with the, the army. Almost the whole army has a 6-up or a 5-up save to begin with. Almost all of them have a 6-up save. And some of them have a shield that gives them a 5-up save. Or a 5-up save in close combat, which is total bullshit. Um, they are not durable in that way at all. So you kill them in swaths, and then they all just come back. And that is very annoying. So what I'm trying to do is trying to emulate or simulate um, some of the deathless saves without actually having to roll for them. So the first thing I've done is, as an army-wide trait, that Tomb King saves can never be reduced to worse than 6-up. So they always will get a 6-up save, period. Essentially a 6-up invulnerable save. Then, I am doing some sort of variation of, like, a natural unmodified 6 to hit. Um, not only saves that wound, but also either saves another wound, it counts as two saves, or it heals two lost hit points previously, and it can return people back from the dead. Might do that. Uh, some sort of version of that, which is essentially simulating the 6-up feel no pains, without actually having to roll the 6-up Fiona Pains. And um, 
it also will be bringing people back to... So if you if you end up killing... Let's say I roll 12 dice, right? Statistically, two of them are... You win me 12 times. Statistically, two of them are going to be six ups. So now I've only been wounded 10 times out of 12. And then if each one of them save two wounds or one wound, I haven't decided yet. I'm, I'm doing playtesting. Um, then all of a sudden it's doubled or tripled. So I may have saved six of them, six of those wounds, if it was worth two wounds or uh, whatever. So that's basically what I'm doing. Um, I'm also adding six different dynasties. So they'll actually have their faction traits like all the other codexes. And they all have different play styles. One is geared towards more um, the cavalry and the chariots. One is geared more towards all of the reanimates, all the monsters like the war sphinx and things like that. Um, one is geared towards um, one of their factions, Mingle Miniatures, put in there. was uh, they, they plate their skeletons in gold. So I thought it'd be cool if they just ignore Rend 1. Because, I mean, they got shitty saves anyway. Most of them are 6 or 5 up anyway. So ignoring Rend 1 is, is a nice thing. And um, there is several different one of them. The the one that's for the reanimates, their faction trait is that all the reanimates uh, start the game with one additional wound, which is nice. And they also heal one wound in each of your hero phases, which is nice. Neither one of those are game-breaking, but they're nice touches. And then... Um, I have to work within the confines of this codex because it's hard to... I'm keeping everything they've done, and I'm giving them full credit. I'm just saying this is ver this is the Pimpcron version of the Mengo Miniatures rulebook. And uh, they've, they made an absolutely gorgeous codex. All the imagery, all the everything. And I'm just tweaking it to make it more potent. So I would be much happier if the Tomb Kings were less durable and came back less... But just had some sort of firepower, something to do. Um, like for instance, the cavalry are one attack, fours and fours, no rend, one damage. So statistically, I need four horses to wound one time, because they're only fifty percent hit and fifty percent wound. I would need so in a squad of ten of them, I'm likely to wound two times, which is bullshit, and it's no rend and one damage. And oh, when I charge, I get plus one to wound. Oh, thank God. It's a four and a three now, one attack. Excellent. No, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm reworking all of this. So the Tomb King should have a bit more punch. There, each dynasty is going to have one constant ability and then one command trait or command ability or command trait. I forget what it's called. Um, one stratagem, essentially, that their heroes can pull off. And then you're going to choose the Warlord trait and choose an artifact from the generic ones in this uh, rulebook. Which, of course, a lot of the spells in this rulebook were, once again, just anemic. They were like, oh, you know, casting value 7 and you might do a wound or something. It was just very, very flaccid. So I am reworking it so that hopefully you won't be rolling so many dice. Hopefully you won't be taking so many people off and bringing so many people back. And hopefully you will uh, be able to actually do some punch, actually pack some punch. So it is, um, I have yet to actually play test any of it. I just did it right before my trip this weekend. And I am probably going to be playing Tomb Kings for the next month or two, uh, play testing all these different dynasties I've made up and all of that. But there's even a dynasty for you, those of you that like the Carrion and the... Um, the beetle swarms and all of that. There's even like a friends of the desert type 
dynasty. So that's kind of cool too. Um, that one actually I'm pretty happy with. In the beginning of the combat phase, each one of your units is basically um, infested with be- beetles, uh, with scarabs. And in the beginning of each combat phase, every single unit gets to do D3 minus one mortal wounds as the beetles come out and attack their foes, which I'm pretty, pretty happy with. So D3 minus one. So it's possible that you do none, but it's also possible that you do uh, two. It just depends on how you roll. But if every single unit does that, that's pretty cool. Also, the other thing that I forgot to mention is in addition to definitely making six up being the worst save they can get, that's a definite and that's staying. Um, the other thing is, is that Tomb Kings are always known for flanking and doing their phalanxes and their pincer attacks and all that. So, unfortunately, there's no uh, phalanxes or pincer attacks in Age of Sigmar because there's no wheeling, there's no directions or facings. So, basically, the army-wide rule is, is if you already have a unit in combat within, you know, three inches of an enemy unit, then any other units that also charge that unit already tied down by one of your units get plus one to wound. So it's essentially simulating an Age of Sigmar version of the outflanking and things like that. So there's lots and lots of different stuff. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm enjoying it and I'm going to eventually be releasing it um, just for whoever wants to use it. Um, and But really it's for my own personal use because, man, it is... Nearly every single game I've ever played of Tomb Kings, no matter how I buffed them, no matter how I gave them, you know, this ability or that ability, whatever, they almost have no rend the entire army wide, and all of them are one damage, and all of them are usually like one attack, and all their attacks are fours and fours. It's it's pretty garbage, to be honest with you. So I'm I'm incorporating the idea of command points and things like that and updating their spells and giving you six different factions to choose from and just all of that stuff. And I'm just trying to get rid of all the rolling. So hopefully it will turn out good and some people want to use it. If not, I'm making it for myself anyway. So up yours. On to the next segment. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Yo, yo, yo. It is Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and I am coming back hot off the heels of a tournament this weekend, and it got me thinking about tournaments. So, first off, let's tell you the story that uh, my friend Derek and my buddy Just James, who you all should know by now, and I traveled up to go see another buddy who we've met through Shorehammer years ago and comes to Shorehammer every year. And uh, we went up to a store, had a great time. Most most of everybody was totally fine, and um, it was nice to see my Shorehammer friends. Some people came down from New York um, and PA and whatnot, and we went up to New Jersey. So it was very fun. Got to spend the weekend with uh, Mr. Derek and Mr. James. And uh, we had a tournament. I ended up 11th place. James ended up 10th. I don't know what Derek was, but... Um, I went 0 and I mean I got uh, one and two was my final score. James was also one and two, which was fantastic. And essentially, my first round was against somebody I had previously already known from Shorehammer, and he played Dark Angels, who I had not yet played. And that was a fun, fun transhuman physiology game, and that was fantastic. You know, honestly. Had I known that I would completely whiff the fire from three Lehman Russes and a Manticore on the first turn, had I known that, I probably would have played differently. But being that I had a total of 
eight D6 shots at at least strength eight, at least minus two, and at least D3, if not a straight three damage. I was kind of thinking that I might do something to these Dark Angels, but lo and behold, I, uh, <laughs> I did not roll well at all. Come turn three, my rolling started turning around, but turn one and two, I could do almost nothing. And by, I think you probably know by now, if you don't do much in turn one and two, guess what? Turn three is a little late to be turning things around. Um, so that's the way the first game went. And I was a little surprised, being that I haven't played Dark Angels yet, I was a little surprised at all their rules that they had. And it was kind of a shock that they get the transhuman physiology automatically and they are other doing the typical dark angel shenanigans that you probably already are aware of. So on to round two, I actually ended up playing against my friend Derek and uh, he played his ultramarines. It was a good game. It was my favorite game of the three because um, I enjoy playing Derek anyway and we haven't played each other in months because he's been doing Blood Bowl and I've been doing AOS and Brutality and all that. So uh, we had a good game. I ended up winning that one and... That was about it for that one. There's not much really to say. I mean, Space Marines have a bunch of janky stuff, but Ultramarines really aren't that bad compared to some of the others. So then third round, I get to face... So that's Dark Angels, and then Ultramarines, and now Black Templar. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, most, the vast majority of the people were playing some version of Marines. And that got a little bit old. I mean, obviously you can't tell people what they can and cannot bring, but I was surprised I didn't see a single night list, which I was really anticipating. And there was not a single Eldar player, Dark Eldar, Tau, Orcs, or Demons. There was um a couple Chaos Marine players, a couple Necron players. I was the only guard player. And I think that's a about it everyone else is space marines so when i was playing black templar black templar is kind of one of those great white buffaloes that you always hear about but i've personally never played against black templar and black templar i gotta tell you they are the most polite cheesy cheaters in the world and what i mean by that is is they have this um what a devout push which is a bunch of bullshit and basically it is the most polite charge you'll ever see in your life they just get to for one command point they just get to go, oh, excuse me, uh, I would like to interact with you in combat. And they just make a three-inch pile-in, and now you're in combat. Do you get to Overwatch? No, because they didn't charge. If they get out of one of those Primaris vehicles, it's a transport, like he did on the first turn, for a first-turn charge, um, it says you can't charge after you get out of that. Well, guess what? He is very politely insisting that he punched me in the face. So he's not actually charging. So that's not technically wrong. And I can't overwatch because he technically didn't charge me. I'm like, okay, whatever. That's that's nuts. But then he also had an outrider detachment, which he moved up 14 inches of their movement. They automatically run six inches plus one for being Black Templar. So that's 21 inches. And they also get plus one to charges and also reroll charges. But uh, normally you can't do that if you run, but then he spent a stratagem that allows him to charge after he ran. Come to find out that was actually incorrect because it only, after the game, Derek showed me that it's actually only infantry that that stratagem can be used on, but he used it on bikers. So that was, that was a fun game. I got to tell you right now, number one, uh, I am sitting on a pillow 
because my butt is very, very tender. And <laughs> and I told just James after that game, I said that if anybody ever, ever accuses me of being a poor sport, ever, I am going to just politely re- uh, direct them to that game because that was not a fun game. He was in my face turn one. Of course, also, you know, if I'm playing guard with a bunch of tanks and, and infantry, if I would have got first turn, I would have had a slight amount of chance. But we both rolled sixes to see who goes first. Then we re-rolled, and we both rolled sixes to see who goes first. And then we re-rolled, and then he won. I'm like, fantastic. I rolled two sixes and still didn't win. That's That was unfortunate. And then he illegally charged me with the, the bikers on the first turn, and he technically legally technically didn't charge me on the first turn with his blade guard people and then i found out later on that they can so i'm thinking okay well i at least have these units pinned so i'm going to keep them pinned and then i can deal with his other units and then on his turn he's like oh yeah we're going to retreat and then i'm just going to politely insist that i punch this new unit in the face because it's not charging you can't charge after a retreat but you can just consolidate using the stratagem into another unit. I'm like, oh my god, good god. This is... <laughs> it was frustrating. By the end of the game, I had just a single undamaged Manticore left. And uh, that was the... He had... I mean, I did kill stuff. But he had a three-man squad of Blade Guard, a three-man squad of Blade Guard, two Redemptor Dreads, his Camaro Primaris thing... And that's it. So I did kill his Outriders, did kill his Chaplain, did kill his other Blade Guard Revenants, did kill whatever unit he was with there. Uh, they had another character there that was buffing him, Judicar or whatever. So I did kill stuff, but boy, was it at a uh, it was at a real cost. And that got me thinking: Is Warhammer really meant for tournaments? Because if you look at the humble beginnings of Warhammer, it is all about kind of an RPG-ish aspect to it like a like a role playing like an experience with friends and certainly there is strategy just like dungeons and dragons have certain levels of strategies in them but it really wasn't a competitive thing now of course anybody is going to take something where strategy is involved and make it competitive so i i understand why we do have tournaments and it is fun to try your best and whatever but the two things that really that really got me for my tournament is that first game, I rolled garbage for half of it. And the last game, I did not know enough about his army. And that also played a key point in the first game too. But the third game, I didn't know anything about his army. He beat me like 60, 50-something or 60 to like 30, 36 or something. I mean, I still scored some points, but I nowhere near... And I'm those just are estimates for the, the uh, scores, but... A lot of it was like, oh, by the way, I do this. Oh, by the way, I do that. Oh, by the way, I do... I'm like, oh my god. This was... It was very much a gotcha moment. Not that he was being mean or anything necessarily, but... um, And I'm not certain if he knew that that stratagem was being used incorrectly on the Outriders or not. But it's just... It's not super fun. So I sat there. I did not concede. I do not concede games. I sat there and I did my very best the entire game until the end of the game and I was down to one manticore and that was that so uh, I was thinking about this and I was thinking you know what really is a tournament 
a tournament is throwing you into a battle with another person who you don't know who you're going to get. You don't know their, their skill level. You don't know their list. You don't know their army, whatever. There's no way to plan for it. There truly is not. Although if I had planned against Space Marines, <laughs> it would have done pretty well. But, um, you know, you don't know if you're going to face knights or swarms or, or elite units or whatever. So, and the randomness is totally fine because that makes it interesting and the different player levels make it fine because that makes it interesting. The one key thing that is really coming up to me that I realize is is kind of a, a pain in the butt with tournaments, especially for me now, is that I'm playing Age of Sigmar, I'm playing Brutality, and I'm playing 40k. And the complexity of 40k and the rules interactions are just ridiculous. And the problem is, is if you play like, I play James all the time, right? And if he's going to have a rules interaction, he's going to tell me ahead of time, hey, by the way, I have this stratagem, I plan to use it. And then I go, oh, okay. And with this knowledge, then I can play better. And he gets a better game, and I get a better game. If I, I do the same thing for him all the time. If I'm telling him, hey, look, this is my shtick, this is what this list does, I'm just letting you know ahead of time, so you can try to mitigate it. And that's how fun games work for us. Well, of course, in a tournament, you don't have to tell everybody every single little stratagem you have. you know, And, and also, not necessarily in a tournament... Are you going to have kid gloves on? You're going to try to win. I mean, my list was okay, I think, and I, I played it pretty well, but still, it was it was pretty rough. So there's a lot of things in his list, like I did not realize he could retreat and then just politely punch me in the face in another combat, because normally you can't retreat and charge. Well, he can. I also didn't know that that same stratagem gives him plus six inches to his consolidation. So... I, he could kill a unit and then immediately move six inches. So he blew up my Chimera in close combat with his Blade Guard. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to be outside of three inches of him, so that'll be fine. Well, then he blows up the Chimera and he moves in. So I put my infantry on the other side of the Chimera to keep them away from him. And, you know, not make them retreat or whatever the next turn. And I remove the Chimera and then he just piles into them like five inches. And I'm like... Uh, that was more than three inches. And he's like, oh yeah, by the way, this gives me plus three to my pilot, my consolidation. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so that game had a bunch of, oh my gods. He wasn't a terrible guy or anything like that, but it, not having the knowledge. How many real world war problems have happened as far as battlefield tactics and all that when they didn't have complete knowledge? Tons of civil war battles and world war, pa world war two battles and battles since the dawn of time, that's the reason why scouts were so important, is so you know how many people the enemy has, what's the situation of where you're going to collide, you know, how are they resupplied, what's the morale like, and that sort of thing is why scouts and spies and all of that is part of military warfare so much. That's why we use drones and satellite imaging and all of that, because you need to be able to put it the best in your favor, and you need to have the complete equation. You know, it's kind of like me plus enemy forces, plus environment, plus luck, equals outcome. And the more variables you know about that equation, the more you can mitigate the negatives and explore your positives in your army and in your strategy. But uh, the problem with 9th edition, I'm finding personally, is that I don't play 9th edition as much as I used to play 8th edition because... Frankly, I don't like 9th edition as much. I'll just come out and say that. I just don't care for it as much. It's a fuck ton of rules on top of each other, and I do not enjoy rules. Matter of fact, even during the tournament, 
um, they're like, well, what's this rule for? I'm like, you know what? I don't even care. Just don't even, I'm not even going to do whatever that rule was. I'm not going to spend 10 minutes looking it up. I don't find the ninth edition rule book to be super helpful looking stuff up. They don't even have an index anymore per topic. Um, I just don't, just whatever. Well, I'll just do something else. So I guess what I'm saying is that unless you know all of the ins and outs of every single army, you're putting yourself at a serious disadvantage when you do tournaments. And I'm not complaining all about this because I'm butthurt because I didn't win. I didn't expect to win anyway. And 11th place is fine. Um, but it's it's interesting that it highlighted it for me that, you know, this is the first time ever I've played against the new Dark Angels Codex. This is the first time ever I've played against Black Templar literally ever. Now, Derek, I, I have played against before. I somewhat have an idea of what Ultramans can do and I can counteract that or whatever. But it's the lack of information that is hugely important in combat. And the same thing is for a tournament. So it's interesting, like, we're taking a game that was based off of an RPG-ish style game. And then over the years, I mean, GW didn't run tournaments initially. People began running tournaments. And it's because we want to make everything competitive, which is fine. I mean, I like a, I like a tournament once in a while. And I had fun this weekend. So please don't think I didn't. But it just does make me wonder that if you can't keep up with the rat race of all the new codexes and all of their doctrines and all of their stratagems and all of their abilities, then are you really capable of playing well in a tournament? Because there's a lot of things you don't know. And unless you're reading all the codexes, there was a time back in 6th and 7th edition and pretty much even 8th edition that just James and I knew all of the armies. We knew basically all of what they did. We knew what all the units did. We basically, if you said, you know, um, uh, warp spiders for Eldar, I would be able to rattle off roughly, you know, how strong their weapon is and what's the AP and the the um, movement and what their abilities were and all of that stuff back in 5th, 6th, and 7th edition and pretty much 8th. Um, but now, I mean, obviously they haven't got a new codex now, but I'm just saying... Now, it's anyone's guess what they do. Are you going to buy every single one of these $40 codexes and the $30 supplements to know what every single chapter does? Are you actually going to go on the Wikipedia page or, or 1D4chan and look up every single one of these armies, not knowing who you're actually going to face? It's like, man, if I had known half of the tricks the Black Templar person played, I could have played better. And also, I would have prevented two assaults on turn one instead of... You know, because he wouldn't have been able to use that stratagem. But that's just the way the game goes. Uh, ultimately, what was I doing this for? Ultimately, uh, most of the tournaments aren't really going on. So I wanted to go do a tournament. And I didn't get to participate in any tournaments in Shorehammer, which is typical. And our buddy Mike is not having his Winter Blast tournament this year. So that's that. So we heard about our other friend Ted's tournament at um, uh, Little Bits in Vine... No? in Cape May. I don't think it's in Wildwood. It's Cape May. And, um, you know, we, we heard all about this and, uh, we wanted to go see him and hang out with our friends. And I had a great weekend with Derek and James. Um, we just got one double bed between us and all three of us shared it. It was nice and comfy. And, uh, I was, I was the, uh, cream in the middle of the two crackers. And, <laughs> and, uh, anyway, it was a great weekend. I, I really don't have many complaints except that, uh, that last game was absolute agony, but I did not forfeit. So I just want to let you know 
when I say I don't forfeit games and I don't take away the victory like that for uh, an opponent, now you know for certain that I don't do that. Anyway, that is it for Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and that is it for, the, it for the show this week. I am very, very tired from my trip, and I slept like garbage last night. So thank you very much, GameMat.eu, and it was because James kept getting a chub. Thank you very much, uh, GameMat.eu. And uh, thank you for supporting the show. And thank you for all of our beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. I will see you next week.